Welcome back to another episode of the Bush League Podcast. This is season two, episode one. We're back. We are back. I'm your host, Dalton Thompson. My co-host, Mr. Zach Ashby, is not able to make it for this introduction. Uh, But nonetheless, we have a great episode in store for everybody. We have an awesome interview with the one and only Jeff Jones, the Belleville News. He's also a Cardinals beat writer. So thankful to have him on and uh, give us his time. And he's very generous with his time and give us a lot of good insight for the Cardinals moving forward and and also just uh, his Cardinals fandom and, and how he became a Cardinals fan and just some of his experiences. It's an awesome interview. Definitely check it out. Uh, it's going to be in this podcast. But nonetheless, we're back. And I'm sure everyone's asking, you know, what, what what happened? Where'd you guys go? We needed you just when just when we needed you. You guys left. Well, life happens. And I got married, uh, which is awesome. Very, very happy. Very, very thankful. Um, I have a wonderful wife. Very, very thankful. Zach is uh, also uh, active duty. And both of us decided right around the same time that probably was best to uh, take a break, let us both do our own things, um, figure out life a little bit, and then come back to it when the offseason comes. And here we are. The season uh, that we just had wasn't anything really to talk about, which kind of made it a little easier for us to decide what to do. But we're back and we're we're here to talk about uh, that atrocious offseason. Not in this episode. We will talk about it a little bit with Jeff. We wanted to uh, we wanted to do a little bit more of an introduction, but I think we're going to save it for the next time we record and just go over what happened during that season and then kind of where the Cardinals are on track to go from here. Um, so yeah, without further ado, we're going to get into the interview. No need to mo- hear more of my voice. Uh, the the person who you have uh, decided to tune in for today, the one and only Mr. Jeff Jones. Knock me down. All right, special guest today. We're joined by the one you may know him as JM Jones on Twitter, uh, but we know him as Mr. Jeff Jones. He's a St. Louis beat writer. Uh, he's a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. He's also written for MLB.com, the Associated Press, Sports Illustrated, Belleville News. Uh, but we are so thankful to have the one and only Mr. Jeff Jones on the podcast today. Jeff, welcome to the pod. That's like the biggest fancy intro I've ever gotten. So I'll take it. I feel very welcome now. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, no, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I've uh, been practicing in the mirror since seven o'clock oh, this yeah. morning. So yeah. <laughs> no, but we're we're really super thankful to have you on today. Uh, we obviously we're just kind of uh, getting started. Getting uh, you know we've we've been doing the pod for about a year now. Uh, we took a little break, but uh, we're back. This is the first episode of season two, and no one better to start it off with than Mr. Jeff. So. Jeff, uh, we'll give you the floor just to uh, introduce yourself to anybody who doesn't know you, but uh, anybody who is a uh, avid Cardinals fan or, or follows Cardinals Twitter definitely knows who you are. But for those who don't, Jeff, take it away. Yeah, uh, so I just wrapped up the, the end of my, oh, let's see, 21 to the end of my fourth and a half season covering the Cardinals for the Belleville News Democrat, uh, which is my hometown newspaper. 
And it's been uh, it's it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fascination. Definitely, you know, you think about sort of all the things that have happened in and around the Cardinals uh, for the last five years. You know, basically for me, like uh, pretty much the acquisition of Paul Goldschmidt, it sort of starts a lot of this. A 2018 season, I was in the ballpark, but that sort of 18 into 19 uh, off season, and then everything that's come sort of since then has sort of capped off, you know, my time down there. Uh, and so it's definitely been. Uh, no, I guess technically historically interesting period to be around the Cardinals to be covering it. Absolutely. You've you've definitely uh, picked a great time to start covering Cardinals baseball when we uh, arguably have, have acquired two of the, the biggest cornerstone pieces in Cardinals history, and they just so happen to be playing across the diamond from each other. Uh, based, you know, to piggyback off that, uh, tell us a little about, bit about uh, just your start in the business. I, I I know that you you started in D.C. You were covering hockey for a long time, and then you came back to St. Louis and started covering the Cardinals. Uh, tell us a little bit about the difference and and what brought you back to St. Louis. Yeah, you know, it, it was more for me uh, a matter of sort of tripping into the industry by virtue of trying to do uh, anything other than go to grad school. Right? Yeah, sort of looking at what my future, my career path looked like. I, I was fortunate enough while living in D.C. To, to know an editor there who needed a little bit of extra work done on the side. And I had some, some stuff I was doing in and around covering the St. Louis Blues. And, and I, you know, I, I've told this story a couple of times before, but the Washington Capitals, uh, when Ted Leonsis bought them, he, his money was from America online. The Capitals at the time were terrible. They were getting no coverage in the D.C. market. And, and so his policy was to kind of open up his press box to bloggers, basically. And, and to this day, you go to the press box in D.C. for a cap scan. Like half of it is the sort of regular credential media and half of it is Capitals fan blogs and folks like that. And so uh, the Caps were very generous with access and that sort of that helped a lot. Right. Because, the, you know, the not so secret secret of the industry is the easiest way to be in it is to be in it. Right. Uh, so once you've once you've been there and you can say, no, look like I've been credentialed in these places and got to do these things the opportunities kind of open up for you. And so, you know, I'm from St. Louis originally, uh, from Belleville originally. And so when when my life kind of shifted to where moving back in early 2017 uh, was kind of like a life circumstances decision for me, it was like, all right, if I'm going to be in St. Louis and this is what I'm going to do, what's the best way to do this? And, 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 you know, what does the market sort of demand? And it turned out that that demanded to be Cardinals coverage. And it just so happened to be where you know, those opportunities were available to me and I've been really lucky about the number of doors that have opened up with not much of a push, I guess, for my, that's, that's the car. That's, I mean, that's the dream, you know, to get into media and, uh, to have that access, uh, you know, kind of, uh, almost organically, uh, become what you are now from those past experiences. I think a lot of people, uh, don't understand that it's, it's really, about 10 to 20% about what you know, and it's more 80% of who you know and, and, and how you get there. And, you know, to, to an extent, uh, there's also like, there's a lot of networking that goes into it, right? There's a lot of professional connection that goes into it. You know, I, I joke about this, but when I think about the people in, in the Cardinals press box, you know, say that there were probably, there probably are about a dozen of us who are there every single day, more or less. And of that dozen, I think probably seven or eight of them went to Mizzou and went to the J school, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that's 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 not nothing, right? It does help to sort of Absolutely. have that connection yeah. and to have that to build off of. So, you know, those of us who uh, those of us who didn't, 
mostly just get to enjoy the days when Mizzou chokes away a, a big football game and we can get jokes off. But yeah, yeah. But this Thank, year that was, less, that was less common. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Th- thankfully, uh, it's uh, it, thankfully it's a lot less common this year. It's been that's actually yeah. been a lot of fun to watch this year. Yeah. But uh, how how awesome how how much of like a dream come true is it to be able to to walk into the ballpark and and sit in the press box and cover the team that you grew up watching? You know it. It, it it's funny. I try really hard not to be jaded about it. And when there is stuff that pops up that like that, that strikes me as a really unique opportunity, um, I try to take stock of those things as much as I can. You know, weirdly enough, a lot of that was in 2020. So the Cardinals ended up playing 58 games in 2020, and I think I was at 55 of them. I think we played a three awesome. game a three game set in Pittsburgh. It wasn't. It might have been four. Regardless, I I couldn't. I physically couldn't drive from St. Louis to Pittsburgh to KC in a period of time that not make sense. But you know, I say that because aside from people who played Major League Baseball or who worked for the league, I don't think there are 20 people in America who saw more Major League Baseball in person than I did in 2020, and that is a weird awesome. thing to think about. Uh, and it was a lot of very weird experiences, like some that obviously you never want to have again. But there are also some, frankly, that are going to like be really strong career memory. Right? That can so definitely yeah, for any number of reasons. Could never have thought that that might have happened, but that that sticks out as a thing where it was like that. That is strange, but kind of cool to be able to have done. That. Yeah, yeah. That's it's almost like uh, you know you 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 watched the team growing up and then you get to just to, to be a part of it, you know, to have your name appear next to, you know, uh, anybody who's re- reading about Goldschmidt, Arenado, the team itself, they're reading about Jeff Jones and, and your writing. So that's, that's awesome. I mean, that, that's truly a dream, you know, that that's uh, incredible. And, and you know, definitely. I, I, th- and I, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, the end of the 2017 season is when I started being down at the ballpark and, in that period of time, uh, I, I can only think of really two occasions where I had to like check myself and where I was at. The first uh, was at Bush, and I was in line for food behind Bob Euchre, of all people. Yeah, right. Like I, you know, I've been I've been around five. Yeah, I, I see a right all the time. Didn't face me. I I once blew past Jennifer Lopez. Didn't see her. Uh, I was going to. <laughs> I was going to talk to Mike Schilt, and I ro- rolled right past JLo. She was oh, the first no. I had no idea where he was at. So, uh, in line right behind Bob Euchre was a moment where I had a little geek out. Uh, and last season, when the Cardinals signed Albert Pujols, uh, there was a moment on opening weekend. I don't even I don't remember what the conversation was, but Albert dropped a mang on me. And just for like, just for a second, I was like, all right, that was fun. Like just, just yep. that little bit of like. The, chi- the child know. in all of us kind of right, just lights yeah. up a little Let's bit. Think, like, what is that like just to be right next weird. to Albert and, and hey. interact with it? Because like growing up, like, and growing up for me, Albert Pools is, well, he was the man. That Larger was, than yeah, life. That was like, you know, like, uh, I'll, yeah, and I'll, I'll say this about Albert. Like, I, I was really impressed. And this this sounds ridiculous. I was really impressed by how good of a mood he was in that whole year, right? Like I didn't, you know, I obviously I wasn't covering the team when he was here the first time. Uh, my interaction with him had been limited to when the Angels came back in nineteen. You know, I was in the gaggle of forty people, but nothing, right? Yeah. Uh, but that whole that whole last year, he was in a good mood. He was 
chatty. If you had a question, he would answer stuff. You know, he wasn't going to like sit there for half an hour and, and just you know, BS with people. Mm-hmm. But if you needed something, he would do it and he would sit and he would talk. And he'd give you a couple minutes and, you know, he was obviously professional and polite. And, but I just, I came away from that sort of with the impression of a guy who was sincerely appreciative for all this. I mean, you would hope, couldn't he be, but he was for a guy who was seemed sincerely appreciative of all the stuff that he had gotten and, you know, was really, really, really very good to a lot of people who asked a lot of him in that last year. Right. Came away really impressed with Albert. Arguably, it's probably cooler that you got to cover him in in this stage of his career where it it was his last ride and it was so much weight on it. Like, obviously, that tear that he was on from 01 to 11, you know, that's that's the pool holes that we will always know. But I think that last season, it really cemented his the what he meant to all of us. Yeah. Right. We, you know, we like, all one felt of the, very yeah, strongly pools. about him, you know, and for him to come back and give that to us is incredible. Yeah. yeah. One of I've my, never uh, in a bad go ahead. Yeah. One of, one of, never. so that, and it's funny you say that one of my favorite Albert stories from that whole year is the only time he ever got short with me. He did a he did one time. Uh, and it was the game when we were in Pittsburgh, and it was the night that he tied a ram on the all-time homer list. I think he, I think he like tied him on a Saturday night, passed him on a Sunday afternoon, yep. or maybe it was Friday and Saturday, but it was something like that. And he had he tied a rod at six ninety six, I think it was that night. Uh, and there were a handful of us there. It was me and Rick Hummel was there, uh, the local AP reporter. I believe there was a stringer from the Cops. Four of them was standing. And I asked Albert. If Aaron had reached out, like, you know, he looked at his phone and Alex called and Alex text and he just gave me a look and he said, I don't need to talk to Alex. Oh, so I don't know what, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is between them, but hey. that was the the one time the whole year that I got, that I got the little bit of a, I got a look and a little bit of a pushback from Albert was when I asked <laughs> him about Aaron and I got I don't need to talk to Alex. And I went, yeah. fair enough. I, you know, whatever that is, that is what it is. Stone cold. Did not, he doesn't was not care. In, was not interested. And of course, I love the that. next day tweeted, I'm so happy for you, my brother. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. But uh, yeah, it was, it was Albert. I don't need to talk to Alex. I love that. He's probably just zoned in. He's just, he's like, nah, well, he's ready I'm to go. good. And yeah, whatever. I, there's a lot of stuff between a and a lot of people in the game. Yes. Oh yeah, you know, that's that's a little a lot he, of that is a bit above think, my. Head. He's not he's not like he's not widely liked across the uh, industry. Know, if I had to assume, it's funny that's true. But one of my one of the old, the very rare times I've seen players freak out in a clubhouse, uh, they were playing the Cubs in a Sunday night game, and this must have been 2018, maybe 20. I guess it could have been 2019, uh, because Aaron came to the clubhouse to do this pregame work or whatever. And Jose Martinez and Jairo Munoz grabbed him up and had him like sign bats, and they were taking selfies with him oh, and like yeah. right on the Instagram. They were they couldn't have been more excited yes. to meet the hang out here. It was I think that maybe that might be a that might not, that might be a, a, a minority opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The popularity. It's definitely, definitely not widely uh, a widely accepted take that a Rod yeah. is uh, is w- widely liked. That's for sure. We exactly. gotta get him off the ESPN analyst. I can't. No, no. <laughs> there's, there's sometimes I can. He, he gives good interjections sometimes, but there's other times man. I'm like, you know, man, like it, your time's passed, and yeah. and there's some and, you things know, like his game just doesn't guy translate. That, there's another former baseball player that 
I, it's the same exact thing. I'm not going to name who it is. He may, he may or may not be a uh, press member for our team. And we'll leave it at that. Here's what I'll, <laughs> I, what, what's, what's the right thing to say here? Here's what I will say in general about the Sunday night broadcast. There is literally <laughs> one Sunday a year when I watch the Sunday night broadcast in real time. The broadcast, right? Because either I am at the Sunday night game. Uh, mm-hmm. or the Cardinals are playing on a Sunday. So if they're playing on a Sunday and I'm at the ballpark from like, you know, from, from 9.30 till 6 p.m., I, I don't usually go home and watch from the night game, if I'm being honest. You know, I'll catch my lights, right? Uh, so I very rarely get to see if the only Sunday I ever have on, you know, I off last year and will, I guess, this coming year is the uh, the the Sunday of KC weekend because the Royals have a yeah. two-game set, but I have to have a Friday, Saturday. So. I usually don't have to listen. And, and frankly, I also don't generally listen to the Cardinal broadcast because if I'm, you know, I'm at the home games, that's 81 yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I'm usually at the road games. And the road games that I'm not at, um, you know, a certain percentage of those usually just leave the broadcast muted. I like yeah. listening to Chip and Brad. Mm-hmm. A certain percentage, I leave the broadcast muted. Yep, there, there you go. That's And that's, that's generally... I think we all uh, agree with that. I, I think, think that's, that's so probably the yeah. the best way to to do it. I do like uh, John Rooney. I, I love what, just hearing him comment. Oh, he's the man. Yes, I do love great. John Rooney. Absolutely. He is great. Absolutely. Yeah, yes, Rooney's, Rooney is Rooney is tremendous. Has been he, beyond helpful. So you know, such a nice man. No, everything you'd want John Rooney to be. Yeah, he, I mean, it's just so nostalgic. Just every, even if like listening to today's games, I could just hear back on. Some of his most oh, iconic yeah, calls. Yeah. yeah. Well, to piggy to piggyback off of uh, just St. Louis Cardinals media in general, um, you know, there's obviously it's it's full of uh, writers who who are, have the same goal in mind, right? We're trying to break news for the Cardinals. We're trying to put the Cardinals in the best light or hold their feet to the fire. Sometimes, Jeff, what what are some some things that you do with your writing style or just in general as a beat writer for the Cardinals? that you feel differentiates yourself from the pack? I, I think the thing that I try to do every day that I'm at the ballpark uh, is it, this, this sounds ridiculous, but it's to like, is to pay attention to things that, that might slip by. Right. Like, and sometimes that's not always for the best because you can, you know, there's definitely a lot of signal and noise that you kind of have to sift through. Uh, and, you know, you start with some very wide process thoughts and you kind of narrow as the, as the day goes on. Right. But no, like, when you know when the clubhouse opens, I'll go in and just real quick look around the room in a circle and make sure that all the locker tags that were there yesterday are still there today, right? Because I get sent down or called up, the you know the locker comes in and out and stuff like that. I, you know, I like I like to get to the ballpark when the gate opens because if there are guys doing work on the field, they'll be doing it basically trying to wrap up as we're getting in, right? So it can be useful for me. For me, at least, it's useful to get there early uh, and, and to do that, and because. For me, it's like I, I I feel like I have a realistic assessment of of the reach that I can have and the reach that I do have and sort of the best way for me to deploy my resources, right? And so to that end, uh, you know, there's not going to be my, my ability to like break trades and free agent signings probably is not super high uh, just in sort of the broader landscape of how this thing works. And so you just make up for it by being diligent, uh, by being, I think, consistent in the way that you observe things. And by trying to share, you know, some different perspective on stuff, right? Like sometimes that can be interesting or sometimes it can be like super banal. Uh, 
but you, you know, you pick your spots. And sometimes the things that I think are very interesting, no one else is even remotely interested in. And sometimes those randomly hit. So yeah. for me, it's, you know, you, you, you pick the thing out and you, you figure out where it goes. Well, and, and to that point too, I, there's very few Cardinals media members that I, I follow and, and I keep up with just I, every, all of us want to know what's going on with the Cardinals, right? I mean, that's, we want to know when trades, uh, free agent signings, uh, guys getting sent down, called up, all of that's super important. But I think the light that they're uh, portrayed in and the way that they're, they're brought to light to the public means the most, you know, and, and it's the biggest difference. And that's why personally it, this is a cool moment for me, just as selfish. I I enjoy seeing your tweets. You know, I enjoy reading your your blogs and your your stories. You know, I those are things that I look forward to to seeing because I know that you're gonna bring it in a light that not only makes the Cardinals look good and feel good, but it's it's also just it's easy to to understand and it's easy to to take in and and that's just something I wanted to throw out there to you. I do and I really enjoy reading your stuff as well. I appreciate that. I very much. I do. Uh, you know, I think that some of that is a function of of me being lucky that I work for a place that gives me kind of editorial latitude uh, to you know to infuse some analysis and some opinion along with kind of the day to day fact gathering, right? Because there are very different ways to do this job uh, depending on where you work and kind of what your workflow expectations are, right? Like if I if I had to every day write a pregame notebook and then write a game story and a look forward story for the next dance game. That's it. like it's 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 just a different job from the it's job that I get. Yeah, it, it is, and and, and and there's a like there's a place for it, right? It can be done very well in a way that breaks up that monotony. It kind of feels more feels more like the story of the season, right, rather than a monotonous report of the season. But it's different, uh, and it requires a sort of different perspective and, frankly, a different tone. I think uh, to to written stuff, and so I'm lucky that I work somewhere where I have the freedom to kind of be as naturally toned as I want to be as long as I don't like get things wrong right like I have yep. to like I have to be right and I have to be accountable and if that's the case then I'm lucky that I get to put some of my own voice into that stuff uh, definitely absolutely um you you mentioned something uh a minute ago about um breaking trades and free agency how difficult is it to truly be in the know when things like that are going on so it can it can be extremely difficult and and it can be very obvious if you know what to look for. By that I mean, like the, you know, if if the Cardinals, for instance, were to say tomorrow the Cardinals were to sign Yuki Matsui, the lefty from Japan, mm-hmm. I will learn that when you all learn that. I guarantee you that I will learn that when you all learn that because that will come when that news gets reported. It will come through one of three or four national reporters who have the kind of relationships and trust with agents and teams that, that allow those sort of things to happen. And those are, those are things that are, that are earned through, you know, long careers and a lot of work in the field. And it's just, it's different, right? Like if you, it, the, if you're Jeff Pass and you have relationships with agents and league officials, I would do more. That's how that goes. Um, but, you know, there are, if you also, there are the other side of that is if you know a team really well and you know the process really well you can get in front of them and you can sort of hear what they're talking about right so for example last year at at the winter meetings uh, when the Cardinals signed Wilson Contreras there was sort of this stretching out of a process where we met with Oliver Marmol in the afternoon for his regularly scheduled availability 
he talked a lot more about Wilson Contreras than a lot of us were expecting to. And at the time, mentioned that he and Mosellock had met with Wilson in Orlando. So that night, we go up to the Mos- to, to Mosellock's suite, and we're asking him how this meeting go in Orlando. And the first answer is, what meeting in Orlando? And it's like, all right, that's... No, oh, really, like, not. right, we know. <laughs> uh, so once we got past that, there was a lot of dancing around it. And so it's like, all right, this clearly is real because there's, you know, there's this sort of obfuscation. So fast forward, you know, that night you're talking to people in the lobby of, of the hotel. And I, I can't remember if Murphy happened. To, no, Murphy happened after. But it, 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 yep. it became clear throughout the course of the week that, Murphy was not coming to St. Louis and he was going to Atlanta. Like everyone sort of knew that uh, mm-hmm. before the week was over. And so if Murphy's off the board and they're serious about Contreras, then it sure looks like Contreras. And as I, you know, as I went to, because I didn't, I didn't stay at the hotel with the meetings where I was sitting in there being like 10, 15 minutes away. So as I'm heading back, you know, or to, heading back to go to bed, I'm like, all right, this is probably roughly what's going to happen here. So the next morning, you know, meetings, whatever, they opened in the Uber, I got to the hotel at 45. As I get there, and this always cracks me up, as I get there, I see Mike Gersh leaving to go for a run with headphones on and, like, in jogging clothes. I see Randy Flores coming back from a run. Like, they're passing each other yeah. on the doors in and out of the hotel. I walk into the hotel lobby. There's a couple other Cardinal officials over here talking to some people. And then I see Mo coming to the lobby with his suitcase. And so, to me, what this says is, oh, they're done. Like, yeah. whatever they're doing, they're, they, they finished it. Whatever they're doing, because they broke out, and then they left. They all went yeah. to go do their stuff. They went for their runs. They got their breakfast and whatever. And it was at that point, within within 30 seconds of seeing Mo in the lobby, Ken Rosenthal tweets that the Cardinals and Contreras are getting close. Uh, and so I, I just happened to be standing there and was able to, like, hey, what's going on? He's, you know, going to get a cab and he, and he, you know, gave it the build it all, you know, work. It's not done. We're working on it. But at that point, I think all that was left to do was to like, I think he had to hire the deferrals for him to approve it. And Wilson had to go get a physical, but it was done. Right. Uh, and so that, that's just a matter of like, I say all that to say that was an example of, you know, who the people in the room who make the decisions are, you know, kind of what the timing of this is going to look like. And if they're all getting coffee and going for a run, it's not that they're like taking a break. They're done. Right. Yeah, so you yeah, can sort finished. of from that, just right. You can, you can infer the rest and off we went. That's awesome. I mean, just the right place, right time. And then also, yeah. you know, being, being uh, aware of what's going on, you know, that's, that's the key to breaking the, breaking the free agent signings and trades. That's, it's, you know, that it's if you open, it's amazing what you will see if you look around. Right, you just sort of open yeah. your eyes. And you right <laughs> yeah. Stop and smell the roses, folks. Right. <laughs> Stop and smell them. Um, I had a question for you, um, and this just might be uh, pure ignorance on my end. But since you're a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, yeah. do you get a Hall of Fame vote? Uh, so I do not. You have to be a member in good standing for ten years before ten you years. get a Hall of Fame vote. Gotcha. So this was this was year five for me. So oh, I'm hey, halfway there. So I'm so I, I, yeah. So you'll get you'll get you'll you'll probably miss out on pool holes by a year. I, I miss I would miss pool holes by a year. Oh. 
if Yadier Molina doesn't get in his first year, he would, in theory, be on the ballot in my first year. Yes, Wayno. Adam Wainwright will be on the my my first ballot would in theory be Adam Wainwright's first ballot yeah for sure well I guess so I guess uh, I guess Miguel Miggy? Cabrera yeah here, Miguel can, Cabrera I, yeah here I'll I'll say this right now uh, knock on wood unless something like terrible you know some terrible personal revelation <laughs> comes I'll be voting for Miguel Cabrera I guess on breaking my first news ballot. you're right I'm com- I'm confident. I'm confident in that assessment. Breaking news. Hey, we get to break news on the pod. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. We'll, in five we'll break years that. and I'm still alive and doing this job, I'll be voting for Miguel Cabrera oh, for the all of it. Yep. We're 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 tweeting this clip out for sure. Call well, uh I guess my if you had three votes this year, who would they go to? And and who or at least get it. Based uh, on the ballot this year, who who would you who are some surefire yeses in your opinion? Would, I would need to see uh, Adrian Beltre's up first time this year. Right? Beltre, yes, like Beltre. Yes. Here, I'll I'll also pull it. Yeah, I had I it up to, just I need, a second, I need to see them. Everybody, top everybody, top take take thirty and pull up the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. voting ballot. Only throwing me through all of trying to see who who got. Who did not get in last year? Who's a holdover? Because I think think Beltre is the only guy this year that jumps out as in. Yeah, that's uh, that's okay. that was so, my uh, analysis. Um, without doing without doing any homework on it at all, I think I'm a yes on Helton. Uh, probably a yes on Billy Wagner. Um, and I would have to look at. I'd have to look at. I'd have to look at Carlos Beltran. Uh, have to look. Here's here's some names just just for the audience at home to to hear. We've got Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield is off the ballot from last year. Carlos Beltran, A Rod, Manny, um, and then first timers go Beltre, Joe Mauer, Chase Utley. David Wright, Bartolo Colon, Matt Holliday, Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Batista, uh, Victor Martin- Martinez, James Shields, and Jose Reyes. Those are the, oh, the oh, headlining names. One is uh, Bartolo's on there. Just you know, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, he's still a, he's still considered an active active <laughs> ML or active baseball player. He's playing in that Saudi Arabian league. That's right. What uh, he, he got drafted? Yeah, he did. I think Mauer's probably a yes. I'd have to. I'd have to check. The I'm a big Joe Mauer guy. I think. I think yes. Catchers. I think catchers don't get enough love. And whenever a good catcher like Mauer, Buster Posey, Yachty, you know those big, those stalwarts that uh, played for one team and they and they played hard and they they may not have had the stick their whole career, but were always defensive. I mean. The guys like that, you've got a reward. I, and, mm-hmm. and I think Joe Maurer just being the guy that he is and, and for being as, as having the longevity he, he did for so long, I think he's got to be in there. You know, maybe not first ballot, but I, I personally would vote for Joe. Yeah, sure. I, think, I think probably Maurer's in. As I'm, as I'm looking at it, I think probably Maurer's But yeah, Beltre is a surefire, um, you know, uh, Maurer. Um, but I guess an easier question uh, and, a, and a better question maybe for, for the listeners at home, who are some, I guess, one or two guys that you feel are left out of the Hall of Fame? They can be um, from any era, any, you know, I'm, 
we're I'm a Barry Bonds believer personally. Okay. I you know Barry for the Hall forever in it my opinion. But yeah, you know. I guess I guess on to that point more broadly. I think for me the steroids guy. So you know if that's if that's Bonds, like there are issues with Clemens, yeah, like. I, I have I have heard the argument that a player who allegedly took PEDs before there were rules and before there were suspensions and consequences that that can be forgiven, but the players who have who like got suspensions once there was a policy, Ramirez, right? That those guys should be out. I think that that is a little bit compelling, to be honest. I don't know why that distinction matters to me, but it feels like it does a little bit. Um, that's one of those things where I told myself, like, eventually I'm going to have to figure out a strong opinion about this. And that is the one that currently I'm letting just sort of, I don't know, marinate Play out. and we'll sort of see, yeah, we'll sort of see how it feels uh, when the time gets there and whether or not it's relevant. Because you know, like, by the time, you know, if I have a ballot in five years, a lot of those guys could be stifled off. Like, I'm not sure how many mm-hmm. of those guys still have that much more time even left on the ballot, right? So yeah. it may not end up being that big of a concern for me. A-Rod um, is going into his A-Rod's going into his fourth year yeah, this year. I guess year. A-Rod would probably still be around. Yep. Um, um, he's really the only name that I, I think has any legs of, of still being on the ballot at, when that time. Manny's entering yeah. his ninth year. Pettit's entering his seventh. You um, know, and it's not, it's not steroids, but I think the conversation about Carlos Beltran uh, mm-hmm. is, is also interesting. I don't know, and I don't totally know how I feel about that. My inclination would probably be that, like, for Beltran or for Jose Altuve in the future, that that wouldn't necessarily discourage me. Maybe I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe somebody will read something or say something that convinces me different. Because ultimately, like, that's, yeah. you know, as much as we talk about the voting process, it's all just sort of a matter of people are or aren't convinced and I've, I've had my mind changed by good argument and so right. you know if i if i read something really compelling uh, that is bad for carlos beltran i suppose i would have to consider it yeah well and i think the thing that hurts beltran the most is that he retired at the when that happened like he he was out of baseball right after that scandal altuve is still in the league and, and he's won twice yeah. now since so yeah. he's proven that he can do it without cheating you know and sure. i think beltron's retirement maybe harmed him because he didn't he didn't go out and prove like i didn't need that but it, he did throughout a whole career and, and the fact that at the very end it kind of tarnished that just i hate it i i love yeah. carlos beltron he, yeah, he's one of my favorite thing, right? like i'm so glad he played in a cardinals uniform and i i think he's a hall of famer in my yeah. opinion yeah like i you know this would Carlos Beltran's last season of an one OPS plus like yeah. is he better off without that even on his ledger at all? Arguably, maybe yes. Yeah, right? And so, absolutely. how much does the ring take? You know, it's yeah, it's it's a decision that in theory I might have to make someday. Who knows? It might be a yeah. I hope he is. He he definitely deserves it, uh, in my opinion. But um, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's get let's talk Cardinals baseball. Twenty twenty three. We'll just toss that out the window uh really not a whole lot to talk about but <laughs> if there if there was something to talk about jeff what are i guess where's your head at after Where enduring that treacherous season i mean like how how hard was it to find the positive um you know i, I didn't i guess the answer is i didn't feel that obligated to find positives because there wasn't that much more. 
positive and there wasn't a need to. You know, I think we all kind of appropriately saw the last couple of weeks of the season it was a positive, but then I think it was sort of incumbent on us to just sort of describe the disaster as it was unfolding. And that was, you know, it was, it was fairly surprising. And there were periods of time where it felt like they were going to turn it, and then there were periods of time where they were absolutely no longer periods of those uh, and so that's how you end up with a season that looks like that so you know to me the, the question coming out of it the central question that governs the reality of this offseason and that, that sort of governs what the team looks like moving forward is what are the lessons that that ownership took out of that season and we'll see because there is a universe where the lesson they took out of that season was this team was awful uh but their lowest attendance was still higher than the average attendance of like 15 big teams. Still so top 10. Is, right. So there is a world where the lesson that comes out of this season is, boy, even if we bottom out, the floor of fan support is still very good in the decisions they make. I don't, I don't think that's the universe we're living in, but it would have to be a concern. Yeah. So that would be something to keep it on. It was the longest car crash in history is is how I how I've uh, heard the Cardinals season explained to me, uh, you know, from others win, who like, watched four it. games in a row. And I would definitely change my Twitter name to birds are hot. And then I would just go go black on Twitter. Misery. For like yeah. Four more losses. And I was, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it got it got treacherous that you know it, obviously there was that lead up to the to the trade deadline like are the cardinals what's the cardinals going to do you know like all of june leading into july i don't think there was a consensus like here's the game plan here's what the cards are going to do until maybe that second or or the last week leading up to the trade deadline were you surprised by any of the moves that they made or was there a move that you you thought they were going to make that they didn't end up making or you know, was there anything that made you believe that it was going to go in any other direction? No, I mean, I think when the time the deadline came close, it was pretty clear before the season had gone what they were going to have to do. I, I guess the the only question I had was whether they would have made a sort of longer term move uh, involving guys with more control. Deadline right mm-hmm. if they attempted to clarify the outfield situation in some way, or if they had shaken more guys out of the organization that you know maybe had fallen out of favor. I think there was some question of whether they were going to pull that off, but otherwise, I mean, look, they they did it. It was a textbook sell, right? They traded every pending free agent off the roster, save for Drew Verhagen, and they got you know some high ceiling guys, they got some Campbell guys, they got some organizational depth. They sold in all the ways you can sell, and they got you know pretty much what you would expect or hope. And so, out of the you know whatever half dozen players that have real major league upside, they picked up line. If two or three of those turn out, then you would have to say it was a huge success for what it was. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think uh, the telling, I guess the uh, telltale signs of how they felt about those trades is positive because they added two guys to the to the 40 man today from those trades uh reverse and uh um who is the uh Adam the yeah the, the pitcher from toronto yeah so obviously they feel confident that they made the right trades uh because they're putting them on the 40 man and, and saving them from the rule five draft so and, and i i guess that's uh that's tomorrow correct 
Yeah. So the, uh, the yeah the deadline for that was was this evening actually to to get guys onto the forty man roster to make sure that they can't be selected in Rule Five. So you had that done. Uh, the tender deadline is this coming Friday, where they're going to have to make calls uh, on guys who get contracts going into arbitration, or even you know you can also not tender some free yard guys. So there was a little bit of movement here. You know, I, I think that to me the move that stands out uh, is to add Pedro Paje to the roster at this point because that's a guy who is well regarded as a defensive catcher. It is a guy that the Cardinals definitely trust in some of their pitching development type situations. Um, it's not clear to me whether there would be a lot of demand for him as like a full-time back catcher immediately next season. But I suppose that, you know, whatever diligence they do showed them that there was enough interest that there was a risk they might lose him. They didn't want to lose him. So, you know, they, they definitely still have uh, some 40-man space to play with. You know, they they, they took off Wilkin Rodriguez and they got ready to not, and then they designated Connor Thomas. These are all guys that, in one way or another, you know, you would probably consider to be replaceable uh, from what they bring to the organization at this point in their careers. So, got a more of a natural churn than anything else. Nothing really all that shocking. Um, and especially considering that, you know, look, Jordan Hicks is going to do pretty well for himself this winter as a free agent. Uh, he pitched well for Toronto down the stretch. And so, with Klopfenstein and Robert being the guys that they got for him in that deal. Uh, there is, a, you know, there's probably a little bit of it doesn't look great to protect those guys. And so Definitely. It, it kind of works in their favor a little bit. Definitely. Well, and, and to your point with Pajes, too, it, it's four. We have four catchers now. There's uh, only room for two. The Cardinals seem to think there's room for three last season. And we saw what happened with that. So in your opinion, with those four guys and, and adding Pajes to the, the 40 man, is Kisner the odd man out? I'm, or are they truly looking at platooning and, and keeping Contreras more in a DH role moving forward? I think there, I think there, there is a possibility of trying to work all three in. I will say that if, if the winner puts them in a spot where they're actually going to recommit to Contreras, which I think is possible, and what a ridiculous waste of oh, how many to. months that was. <laughs> right. they, so once they do that, I do think that there is a world where maybe Herrera becomes the guy who mm-hmm. is, is perhaps a trade conversation, just sort of given how close he is to the big leagues and, and how well regarded he is and how still really young he is, right? Especially for that position. I think that Herrera is a guy who would, who would carry some value. Like for instance, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about like the Goldschmidt trade, uh, Carson Kelly arguably was the highest value piece in that trade, right? I think at that point you sort of knew what Luke Weaver was. And so, you know, can you build, can you build a trade around what, what's the equivalent? You were talking about Herrera and Jake Woodford and then some depth pieces. You know, if you can build that kind of a deal that gets you to a, a Paul Goldschmidt, then, you know, you do that 10 times out of 10. So, Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, you, you do sort of wonder if maybe that's. Happening. Yep. That deal just so happened to include a guy that ended up being an ace. So that's just shame on us. Tough, tough break to, to lose. Uh, Zach Gallon in that deal, but um, you well, know, and so remember though, because so Gallon ended up going. Gallon went to Miami for the deal for Ozuna. Oh, he did. He did. You're right. And then and Miami then he got flipped, flipped him to Arizona yep. for Jess Chisholm, and which ended up to be uh, a win really for everybody win, except win. for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, well, and I guess with the the Rule Five, the the couple of guys that are still on the 40 man roster. And and you look at, uh, like you said, the DFA Connor Thomas, who, who hasn't 
developed into the pitcher that everyone thought he was going to be this hard throwing lefty that, you know, was going to come in and get outs. But, you know, he he hasn't really shined in the, the minors. So they DFA him, open up a spot to bring in those guys. How do you configure them keeping uh, the, the outfielder they got they brought over from the Red Siani? Um, and then they I guess they pick up another uh, pitcher off of waivers earlier this offseason. But what's the thought? into to not giving up one of those spots for maybe more pitching depth something we very much lack right now and yeah i think you know and those are all moves that could be made at the time too and so you know whatever however the 40 man looks today on tuesday the 14th number one i mean it's going to look different on friday right once you get through non-tender time and they decide what's going to happen with whether it's dakota hudson or jake woodford or whoever there's going to probably be a little bit of, of, of shuffle of, of shuffle happening then and then you know look as guys he added whether it's trade or free agency there are some places on the roster where they can definitely nip and tuck throughout the winter right, right. And, you know yeah. so expendable guys right the fact the fact that you know whether it's siani or you know for or james nail you know, yeah. there are a lot of guys who you might look at it as candidates to kind of go through that churn at some point this winter um you know, it's not necessary to do it today uh, unless there are guys that you're really angling to protect or to try to acquire from other teams, right? Because, you know, part of the Rule 5 protectionist teams will try to trade guys ahead of it to make sure that, you know, to, to get something back so guys don't just walk. We saw that a week ago uh, with Riley O'Brien from the Mariners. Yep. You know, it's to deal for cash, but that's because that was a guy who the Mariners were going to let walk to minor league free agency. And so it may, may as well get some cash on them while you can. And the Cardinals get some certainty that they're able to control over it. So, right. you know, you see, you see stuff like that on a day like this. And so they haven't just haven't had the need for those spots yet. But, you know, the 40-man roster today is definitely not uh, not casting some I hope not. <laughs> that's uh, that's the I, I guess. And in, in you said with the trades and free agency, we're in the period now where uh, rumors are running rampant and every day it's something different. Is there... One guy that you, as Jeff Jones beat writer for the St. Louis Cardinals, that you, if you could pick one name out of the hat and and lock that guy in for five plus years, who who's the guy? Who who do we go get? Yeah, if it's me and I'm running my team, think that Yamamoto is the guy that I go get. Now, part of that is. I've, part of that is I've watched Blake Snow and Aaron Nola pitch a lot more, and so I have a lot better of an idea of what their downsides are. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, Yamamoto is a guy who I have seen primarily through highlight clips or watching the WBC, so that's not a guy who I'm pretend to know a lot of that. But I understand, you know, that that Aaron Snell and or that, that Aaron Nola and Blake Snell have certain shortcomings, and so Yamamoto, to me, you know, a guy who is younger a guy who has the acclaim that he has, a guy who does not have the QO attached, right? Uh, you know, maybe there's, you know, you're paying the you're paying the posting fee with him, but that's just cash to me. You yeah. know, that, that's that's you're not losing a draft pick, right? You're not losing the asset. So for for me, that is the guy that makes the most sense. The question, I guess, is going to be what kind of market does he want to play in, and how serious are the Cardinals to the table uh, financially? You know. It, are they willing to get to a spot where they bid the guys? So right. would be unlike them, but you, you know they're going to have to do things that are unlike them to sort of fix how things are going. Yeah, yeah, so, I, and yeah. I think they've realized that too with the outcry for uh, 
you know, starting pitching help is obviously the the biggest thing that we're missing right now, just across the board. And that's been the the last three off seasons. You know, that's the one thing that Mosaic's like, we got six or seven guys we can throw out there anytime, all season, no big deal. And and every season it it seems to go haywire very quickly. So um is there is there a name that uh might be a dark horse or somebody that is you know, there's whispers about maybe, uh, you know, p- the potential of of being a St. Louis Cardinal next year that maybe we don't have on our radar. So I think I think the one guy that it would be good to be away uh, to be aware of is Yuki Matsui, who is also from Japan. He's a left-handed reliever. Uh, he was the closer for Rakuten for the last couple of years, and is sort of you know in 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 that in that same mold with Sungwon Ho was when he came over, where he was sort of this like legendary closer figure. From an Asian pro league and see how it translates to the big leagues. And O was a really good major league reliever for five or six years, right? Yep. You know, Matsui is much younger again than O was when he came over and not, you know, throws harder. O was kind of a pitch maker, moving pitches coming down. Matsui is a little bit more velocity. Not not super high. He's still kind of loading these, but but it's more like kind of like locator fastball. He's really, well, he's really left handed. That's left, the, right. Left handed also, also a big deal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you know there have been reports kind of linking him to the Cardinals as well, so that that is a guy that I would keep an eye on. Um, otherwise, you know, I think it when when the Cardinals talk, to, you know, whether it's three or two and a half pitchers, I think one thing to keep an eye out for might be how these next couple of days unfold in terms of you know minor trades and non tenders and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's not is it going to excite anybody if the Cardinals trade and scoop up a guy who was about to be non-tendered? No, it's not. Um, but there are guys out there who can, who can eat innings who maybe teams are questionable about, you know, like somewhere out there, there are versions of, of Dakota Hudson that other teams have, but their Dakota Hudson strikes guys out. Yep. Right. Like, <laughs> that's, that, that's the biggest difference. Right. That really teams, is. Teams have those guys. And, you know what? There are after a while, a lot of teams. There is their psychological aspect to player fatigue, prospect fatigue, and so there are there are plenty of twenty-seven, twenty-eight-year-old pitchers around the league who are kind of on this borderline of tender or not. Maybe the change of scenery helps. Like you know, you saw today, for instance, uh, Cleveland designated Cal Quantrill uh, yes, ahead of setting their forty name. That, like love that, that is a name. That is a name. Like, if you look at Cal Quantrill's most similar pitchers, it's number one is Dakota Hudson, right? Quantrill mm-hmm. strikes out nobody. It's the same deal. It's it's a ball and play kind of guy. Uh, so I don't know if net net is as Mo might say you get a lot there by swapping out one for the other. But like, but guys like that, right? Guys who maybe have reached their ceiling somewhere else, but if you would still trust to pitch some number of big league innings, those are the kind of guys who, for me, fall into the half pitcher bucket, right? You know, guys yeah. that you're not going to pick up pitchers. to count on, yep. right? Yeah. Cal Quantrill is like an ideal half pitcher if you start yeah. guys out. So guys like that are kind of well, what he, maybe you would look at. He was linked. Uh, the Cardinals were linked to him in trade talks at the trade deadline. You know, the last they two were. seasons. So that, I mean, but, but again, that that is reflective of a world where you know apparently the Cardinals did not think strike was good, and now they do. That's yeah, obviously simplifying it a little bit, right? But he's. I don't know that he necessarily. Fit. I, I guess what I would say is. If in the next 72 hours we find out that they're making a deal for Cal Quantrill, I will be very skeptical that they're changing much on the pitching side because that right. would be marrying themselves pretty strongly to that, you know, that kind of guy, right? 
right? Yeah. And so we'll see. But but there are there are guys like that, you know, guys who strike out ten per nine but walk eight per nine. Those guys those guys exist, and so That's we'll something. see kind of what what that looks like. Yep. And uh, as long as we're not uh, in another John Lester, and uh, you know, let's let's bring in the old old guys and get ground balls, right? It's just a different ball game. We're we're in a totally different. Uh, atmosphere a different realm of of baseball than we were even two or three years ago when that was the norm you know get guys who get ground balls and let the defense do the work obviously our defense ranked like bottom five bottom 10 this year we didn't have wait i think we had one uh contender for a gold glove so i mean i mean what definitely a from the step back. yeah yeah where we were the platinum team or whatever it's, so it's gold gloves i believe or seven yeah we won the team platinum or the team gold glove you know the stuff like that it's it, it just last season just it brought a different light to the cardinals that you know i i hope the front office sees and and understands that we we just want to win ball games we don't care how we do it we we want to do it with guys that that also want to win ball games so you know hopefully that translates in the off season but uh Jeff, you've been super, super generous with your time. Uh, yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. We got uh, one more question for you. Uh, I, growing... got, I got one too. Whatever you go. I'll, Go for Zach it. Throw the, I'll, I'll let Zach throw this one out. All right. All right. There's a little fun one for you. Okay. I'm Jeff Jones. We got a 12.05, you know, start game. You know, we get to the, we get to the stadium around 9 or 10. You're getting ready. Just go up in the booth. You're ready to go. You're just like, man, I cannot. I could not write right now. What? I just need some fuel right now. Where? What are we? What ballpark food are we eating? Ooh. You know what? Are, what are we enjoying? Are we having a hot I dog or a rot? You know. So your Bush Stadium yeah. food order. Yeah, love helmet it. nacho guy. You know. So here's here's the honest answer to this question, and it's the most disappointing answer you can possibly imagine. Until about Memorial Day this year. There had never been a microwave in the press box at Bush Stadium. They give us they give us free hot dogs and yeah. pretzels and popcorn and like bags of chips and stuff. And you can go downstairs and you can buy the media food every day. It's, I think I think with tax on your card, it's fifteen fifty seven. Uh, you know they have many kinds of dried chicken, and some days they have breakfast. And it's it's you know right. It's okay. It's not they work very hard. They're yeah. very nice. Uh, yeah. You know when they got the microwave the world changed because then i could just go to trader joe's on a monday and buy like five frozen things for a homestand yep. and so make I it easy like, right for dinner have like butter chicken one night or enchiladas the next night yeah you're probably saving about 108 dollars when you know there there are there are a number of benefits to this but yeah no no, no i i the, the answer is what was the interesting thing in the frozen food case at Trader Joe's uh, this week <laughs> is usually what I'm eating at the ballpark. But if that's if that's not the case, and if I'm in the mood to like eat some ballpark food, uh, we'll go down. So there there are two places. Uh, yeah. I can go down to the Redbird Club. There's actually direct stair that goes from the press box down. Mm-hmm. We'll hit the uh, we'll hit the stir fry station. Yes, oh, and get the stir fry. Uh, there is also up on the upper concourse, down the first baseline, and on the 400 level, there is a little stand that makes Italian beef sandwiches. Uh, and the Italian beef sandwiches is very popular among the folks who sit next to me in the press box and kind of in the little area. So those are my, those are my two spots. There you go. Love it. I'm Love it. If it's not Trader yeah. Joe's, we're getting stir fry. That's yeah. That, that honestly is it. It's gonna be. 
It's going to be something Asian. It's going to be frozen or it's going to be the stir fry. Cool. I, love, I love Chinese food. That's that's a go to. Absolutely. I live in I live in University City, so I, I go to Corner 17. Well, there you go. Yeah, all you're the in good time. shape. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we we got one last question for you, Jeff. Again, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, growing up Cardinals fan, watching Cardinals baseball, what is your number one Cardinals memory? It could be at the stadium, watching at home. It could be, you know, enjoying something with your your family or whatever. What's the number one Cardinals memory that stands out to you? So I have this is I have a really good answer to this question. This is my one that I know that I can that I can stand on. So love it. Uh, at at Old Bush when when they played postseason games they would put two extra rows in front of the very front row down the baselines to expand like VIP seating during the playoffs. So when the Cardinals played Atlanta in 96 in the NLCS uh, and they were up, I guess it would have been, it was game four because they were up two, one and they won game four to go up three, one. And it was game four uh, for which my dad had got he had two tickets, got him from work somehow, and we were in what would have been the very front row down the first baseline, except for the two rows right in front of us. And I got added, right? Uh, so I in '96, I had I would have just turned nine uh, when that series was going on, and so there are two rows in front of me between me and the field, but because it's they're built out. It's, it's not like a stadium. It's not like I can see above them. I'm on their level. It's like going to a concert, right? right and standing in the pit. Couldn't see at all the entire game. Uh, and I'm staring at the back of this guy's head. And in front of me, I will never forget, it's this old man. And he has on this hideous, like, purple and tan Cosby sweater. <laughs> so Dimitri Young hits the triple into the corner. Uh, Cardinals take the lead. They win. You know, they're going to win this game. They're going to go to the World Series. Everyone is so sure before they get back to win blowing out the door so dimitri young hits the triple everybody's doing high fives and the guy the old man in the ugly sweater in front of me is giving high fives and it was lou brown and he turned around to give high fives and my dad of course recognized him immediately uh and so my dad like finds a pen and lou brock signs baseball cap so somewhere i have like a little kids like cardinal cap that lou brock signed during game four of the lcs in 96 because you know again Dimitri Young hits the triple. Everyone is doing high fives, and there's Lou, and he's you know he's, he's in the good seats, and there's Lou, and he's just turning around and giving him high fives, and gave me a high five after the Dimitri Young triple. Oh and my! That was like, that's my that's my moment. Is the time wow. that I had the, I stared at the back of Lou Brock's head for seven innings, and then I got <laughs> high five. Oh man, the the. Juice really was worth the squeeze on that's, that one. I, I, that's that's my that's my good one from when I was. That's incredible. Uh, it helps. My, my my balance for my bad one is the only time I ever caught a foul ball at a game where I was a fan. Uh, was way too drunk, and a friend of mine had gone outside to smoke a cigarette, and the foul ball landed in his seat, and he would have gotten outside to smoke, <laughs> so I scooped it up. Not nice. I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Now, you, just the fact that there was a Cardinals Hall of Famer, you know, legend standing right in front of you, and and then to figure out it's not not only is it a Cardinals Hall of Famer, but it's Lou Brock. You know, I'd say Cardinals Mount Rushmore guy. That's yeah. t- that's incredible. That's incredible. That's, that's the one. Yeah, that was that that was that's a cool one that I will carry for sure. What an incredible memory, and especially at, at Old Bush too. Without it, uh, you know, not being here anymore, it's like your you that's you your piece you can hold on to now. Yeah, the only I other really that. good old Bush memory I have, 
when the Cardinals traded for McGuire at the end of 97, I guess, right? In 97, because he had the record 98, yeah. Uh, they, the Cardinals, they traded for McGuire, and they were playing, I want to say it was the White Sox. In my mind, this was like the first year of any league play. They were playing the White Sox, and it was the first time we went to go see Mark McGuire, and he homered. The first time I saw him play as a Cardinal, and the you know, whole park went nuts or whatever. That was, yeah, that, that one, excuse me, that one I'm going to have to look up at some point to figure out exactly what happened that's incredible. That's awesome, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time thank and your, your you. Cardinals knowledge and just your industry knowledge and just being present with us today. We really do appreciate it. Um, everybody at home listening, you can follow him on Twitter at JM Jones. Uh, be sure to check out his uh, articles that he writes uh, and, you know, stay uh, stay in the loop with Mr. Jeff Jones as the Cardinals offseason begins. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from you very often here soon. So we'll be around. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Jeff. We appreciate it. Have a good Thank night. We appreciate you. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank Have you. a good one. Thanks. Sick. Sweet. That was an hour. Yeah. 50, 5806 is what I got on mine. Thank you to Mr. Jeff Jones for his time. Again, incredible interview. Uh, very thankful that he came on to talk to us. Uh, even, you know, just we're just getting off the ground. We're, we're just getting our feet wet here with our podcast. And we love talking cards. We love talking cards with people who uh, love talking cards just as much as we do. And he gets paid to do it. So that's, you know, that's that's the incredible part is that he took his time out to uh, allow us to interview him and we're very thankful shout out jeff jones jm jones on twitter be sure to follow him and uh, let him know that you enjoyed having him on who knows if uh, enough people say that they enjoyed his interview maybe we'll we'll have him on again i i know we would absolutely love to um but we know he's also very busy so uh very thankful for jeff um just a couple housekeeping notes moving forward for our uh, future recordings it won't just be me Zach and I will be back uh, steering the ship together uh, for our next recording. I think the plan going forward is we're going to release every other week. So uh, we're going to do every other Tuesday. Um, obviously, this is coming out on Monday. Uh, we just wanted to get the interview out. We were trying to figure out how we were going to record the intro outro. I just decided I was going to do it, make it easy for both of us. But our next episode we record will be both of us. We'll be talking Cardinals baseball the offseason, steps moving forward, um, and who knows? Maybe we'll have more interviews. I know uh, we've got a couple feelers out for some different uh, guests to join the pod later this offseason that I know you guys are going to want to listen to, so stick around. This is Season 2, Episode 1. Well, you can call it Season 1 and a half, I guess. The season, I guess the season would be more uh, when the Cardinals start playing, but this is our offseason, but we're going to go at it just as, as hard as, as our guys are training right now to get ready for 2024. So we're really excited to be here again with you guys. Thank you for listening. We'll see you we're out.